Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, good morning. You look good this morning. Tell the person next to you, you look good today. Now, if you lied about that, you can come forward at the end and repent. Uh, But otherwise, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? That's right. It's a good day. You could be a lot of other places. You're here. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is too. I hope you are. Uh, Several years ago, uh, I was doing student ministry. I did it for a long time. And it takes a special creature to do uh, student ministry. Those of you who have done that, amen. And uh, on one particular night, Wednesday night, I was tuning up a guitar, getting ready for the worship service. And uh, this young boy came up to me. He's in the seventh grade. He said, hey, Pastor Joel, I'd like to play in the band. I said, do you play the guitar? He says, oh, yeah. I said, well, cool. How long have you been playing the guitar? He said, since I was six. I said, well, that's cool. Took the guitar off. I said, hey, play me a G chord. He spread his fingers out across that fretboard, and he went, Bling. I said, wow, that's awful. You're terrible. I said, give me that guitar before you put an eye out or something. I said, you told me you could play the guitar. I said, I'm not talking about Guitar Hero. He said, well, we have a guitar. And he said, what's that got to do with James? Here it is. We can say we are anything we want to say, but our actions authenticate the reality of who we are. He was not a guitar player. I told him, I said, listen, you go home, take that guitar that you have, learn a G, a C, an E minor, and D until you can do, play it with your eyes closed and you can play in the worship team. That's about all they know. They act like they're really good. G, C, minor, D, they play everything, okay? Now, now James is going to drill down on that today. James is going to tell us, you can say whatever you want to about yourself, but unless your actions authenticate who you say you are, you're just, uh, you're just chattering. And, and he's going to say that's enough of the lip service, it's time for you to assign some life service to your words. James, our blue-collar scholar, is going to tell us that Christianity is, is much like the rest of the world in our chatter, that we've got to live out who we say we are or it matters none. In fact, often it may be a, a demonstration of the fact that we're just not telling the truth. James is going to say... If Jesus is really your Savior and your Lord, which is a package, it just ought to look like it, okay? If Jesus has saved you, then he must be the master of your life. You remember James started, James 1, he says, I am, he didn't say I'm his half-brother, I'm this, I'm, he said, I'm, I'm a bond servant. I am a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus comes into your life to save you, Jesus comes into your life to be the master of your life. And so if Jesus has saved you on the inside, it ought to look like it on the outside. Now, this is what I like about James. He's just rough and raw, tells the truth. He doesn't dance around it and suggest some things. He's very candid, very straightforward in how he writes this letter. And so today we're going to extend last week's message called Just Do It. And if you weren't here last, year, last week, I would encourage you to go online and watch that message. It'll help you get to this message. Uh, it's called Just Do It Part 2. We're going to look at James chapter 2. Verses 14 through 26. Open your Bible or your device. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James is going to say, when we say we possess something, I mean, when we say we profess something, we ought to possess that same thing. He's going to say, if we're talking about it, we ought to, our walk ought to match our talk. That our doing should be a demonstration of our being. And so it matters how you live your life. Tell the person next to you, your life really does matter. 
Now, we're going to be challenged today to ask ourselves some personal hard questions. We're going to be asked today to ask some hard questions about those people in our world, the people, the person sitting next to you. And so it's going to be an interesting day. But before we do, I want to remind you what James said. When it comes to this book, the Word of God, it is the inerrant, infallible, eternal Word of God. It is the theonoustos, the breath of the living God to us. It is our Bible, our basic instructions before leaving earth. And he said this, when it comes to the Word of God, when it begins to speak, when you open it up and you look at it, when the preacher preaches and he's preaching from the book, he's not, he's not making stuff up. He's showing you the word of God. James says, this is how you handle it. Okay, he says, you speak slowly. In other words, don't talk back to it. He says, you listen quickly. In other words, listen, dial in. He says, and smile because God is watching. You can't get angry and then go out and live it. It's that simple. That's how the word of God should impact our lives. And so he's going to show us today Uh, what it means to live the Christian life. That living the Christian life is as vitally as important as uh, professing the Christian life. Now, before I get into this, I want to be very, very clear about who we are as a church and how we view Scripture. I want you to know the foundation of your salvation, okay? It is grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone according to Scripture alone. That's it. If you're saved, if I am saved, I am saved 100% by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone. But I want you to know, when grace, faith, and Christ show up alone, it doesn't stay alone. It's manifested through the works that we do. Grace, faith, And Christ alone generates something else. They're never going to stay alone. And your lifestyle, the way you live your life should authenticate what it is you say you believed or what you believe. So I want you to know you're not saved by works, but you're saved for work. You're not saved by serving Jesus or serving someone else. You're saved to serve Jesus and to serve someone else. Listen to what scripture says to nail this down so we can move on. Ephesians, move on forever. This will never change. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. I think I just said that. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, never stays alone for good works. You got it? Say, I got it. Well, hang on to it because most of the world doesn't embrace that. Most of the Christian community doesn't embrace that. When I say Christian community, nominally, those who say they're Christian, let me encourage you. Go into your workplace, ask people in your family, in your neighborhood. You can tell them your preacher told you to do it. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're convicted of it because the preacher said if you didn't do it, he's going to you know, pray against you. Whatever you need to do. Here's what you do. Hey, man, I, I've been going to church, and I've been thinking a lot about my spiritual life and thinking about God and everything. And uh, you know, I'm just trying to fi- figure out where people are at in their journey. Can I ask you, what do you think about God? Most people say, oh, God's good. God is love. They'll throw some stuff in there. Well, you know, we live in a hard time. And, you know, I've just been thinking, what if the world came to an end and, like, we stood before God? Do you think you would go to heaven? 
well, if they're in the right mind, very few are going to say, I hope not. I'm going to go to hell and I die. You know, they're not going to do that. Everybody's going to heaven. You know that. It's universal truth. Everybody's going, right? So they say, I, I'm going to heaven. Ask them, say, well, when you get to the gate of heaven and God says, if he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell them? What would you, how would you answer the reason that you should go to heaven? Let me tell you what you probably won't hear. Well, because I'm a sinner and Jesus came from heaven to die on a cross in my place and the Holy Spirit invited me into the family and one day I just gave my messed up self to a perfect Savior named Jesus and he's been saving me ever since and when I get into heaven, it's only because of Jesus. You won't hear what I just said, more than likely. 99 out of 100, you know what you're gonna hear? Well, I, I go to church some. I've given some money to the church. I read my Bible every now and then. My dad was a deacon and my papa was a preacher. I had a good mama. She took me to church all the time. That's all great stuff. None of that will get you into heaven. All of that will get you into hell, apart from what I said initially about Jesus. Most of, most of the testimonies about why we're going to heaven have nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with how good we do. I want to be very, very clear we are saved by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And all of that other stuff, the doing part, that's awesome. We're called and commanded and compelled to do that. But it has to be on the right side of our salvation. It doesn't lead to our salvation. It is a product of our salvation. Now, James is going to say today, it's a really big part of your salvation. Okay? It's a significant part of your salvation. So, number one. On the back of your worship guide is cheap chatter. Cheap chatter. James is going to say, listen, listen, church. It's enough of the cheap chatter. Lip service is cheap. Life service will cost you something. So here's what he says in verse 14. He says, church, Christian, what use is it, my brothers and sisters? What use is it if someone says he has faith but he has no works. Can that faith even save him? Now, he's saying faith words without faith works is useless. And then he asks a question. Can, can, can somebody who, has, who says they have faith, but they never show it in their life, can they even be saved? It's a really, it's a deep, deep question. Now he goes on, he gives an illustration. <clears throat> Last week he gave the illustration of widows and orphans. Today he's going to give another illustration. He says, if a brother, in verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Then he says, in the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Well, now, wait a minute, Pastor Joel. You just made this big deal out of grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. And I did, and that's true. But when that comes into our life, listen, when you realize how hell-bound you are and you deserve to be because of your sinful condition, and you realize there's nothing you can do to help your situation, you cannot work yourself out of that situation. It would be like standing on your hands and trying to lift yourself off the ground. It ain't happening. It'd be like being in the center of the ocean about to drown and reaching up into the sky and pulling yourself out of the water. You can't do it. You can't do it. Faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone. 
But now James is going to say, when that happens, you better believe it will change your life. Your life will be a demonstration of what God has done on the inside. He's, he's saying that, that this world is full, chock full of unsubstantiated, unauthentic, cheap chatter. And he says, brothers and sisters, now this is James talking, so you can get mad at James. He's saying, stop the foolishness. Stop claiming Christianity and living, uh, stop claiming Christianity on Sunday and living like hell on Monday. There's no room for that. That is not authentic faith. In fact, it will not change or serve the world. It will not help your life. And it gives God a black eye because you're claiming to be a child of his and yet living like a child of the devil. So you see, James is, James is going to drill down and say, listen, it's time we act right. It's time we uh, walk the walk and stop just talking the talk. Now, we've all met people who are, man, just overly spiritual. They talk about divine appointments. They talk about, oh, the good Lord. Oh, they talk about, they talk it big, right? And yet they miss church more than they attend church. They never give of their tithes and offerings. They never really read the Bible. They never witness. They never, they never uh, help or serve in the church. And James is saying, that's who I'm talking to. James said, I'm, that's enough of the cheap chatter. He says, it's time for people who are going to heaven because of what Christ has done for them to begin to live on the outside like Jesus has really changed them on the inside. You know anybody like that? If they're sitting next to you, don't look over at them, okay? We all know people like that. In fact, all of us play that part sometimes. All of us, sometimes we look in the mirror, that's what we see. Because we talked about scripture is like a mirror. It reflects simply what it sees. It doesn't distort or lie or, or manufacture information. It just reveals what's standing in front of us. And some, sometimes we play the part of cheap. We just cheap chatter. We talk a good game, but we don't really live it. History says Abraham Lincoln one day was talking to a little boy about this kind of subject matter. Abraham Lincoln asked a little boy, he says, Sonny, he says, if a dog has four legs, and if you called his tail a leg, how many legs does the dog have? And the little boy said, five, I suppose. And Abraham Lincoln said, no, the dog has four legs. The tail is still a tail, regardless of what you call it. That's so true. It doesn't matter what we say about ourselves. All that matters is really who we are. Just because I say so does not make something be so. I could come in here today and tell you I am a nuclear physicist. Why are you laughing? Why is that the funniest thing yet? I could tell you that I am a brain surgeon. I could tell you that I am a professional baseball player. And on top of all that, I am an absolute computer guru. But the truth is, ORNL has not contacted me to provide them nuclear services, okay? UT Hospital has not contacted me wanting me to come in and help with a serious brain surgery. The Atlanta Braves have never contacted me to come and play ball in Atlanta. And the last thing you need is for me to even touch your computer. You see, just because I say it is so does not make it actually be so. Now, on the other hand, I am a hard worker. I am a really, 
really good pawpo. I love the Lord's church. I am a preacher of the gospel, and I am the absolute best husband my wife Kendra has ever had. Now, you know what? All that's true. It's not true because I say it's so. It's true because my being and my doing authenticates my saying. Does that make sense? It's the same with our Christianity. What we say and what we do should go hand in hand. There shouldn't be a disparity or a chasm of difference between what we profess and how we live our lives. And so I want to be sure you understand my doing does not determine my being. My doing only authenticates my being. I cannot do enough to become. I can only do as a product of already becoming. Our doing should be just a reference of who we are in the, on the inside. And when we don't do that, it doesn't help anybody. And it hurts the cause. It hurts the kingdom. It hurts what Christ did. It hurts the message of the gospel. And so in verse 14, he asks this really hard question, a question that we should all ask and know the answer to. He says, can a faith that has no works even save a person? He's going to go to the topic of what's called soteriology, the study of salvation. Can a faith that's never manifested in our hands and feet, can it really save somebody? Now, that is a heavy question because Paul would emphatically say, uh, yes. But James is almost suggesting that a faith without actions is not a real faith at all. So what do we do with that? Well, the answer is yes and no. The answer is a subtle yes, but a profound no. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So for Abraham, Paul's saying, man, it's his faith that was counted toward him as righteousness. And then he goes on in verse 4. <clears throat> now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Paul is saying, listen, yes, you can be saved without works. James is saying, yeah, but if you, all, if you are saved, it ought to work. So, so how do we wrestle the tension between just simple grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and works? How do we find that balance? It's hard. Because what we have a tendency to do, we realize, man, I'm, I'm, I was desperately in need of salvation. I am so glad that Jesus came from heaven, died brutally on a cross just for me. I'm a child of the king forever. And there ain't nothing the devil or me or nobody else can do about it. I've been radically changed on the inside. And all of a sudden we realized he died for me. I truly need to be living for him. So we start serving, right? We start doing on the outside as a, as a picture of what happened on the inside. We read our Bible more because we're in love with God and his word. 
we begin to apply his word in our life, we pray more, we share more, we help others, we serve in the church, we give of our proceeds financially, we're in the game. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, our deeds become to, uh, begin to over outweigh the balance between faith and works. And so it's really, really difficult to balance this thing. So there was a young man once upon a time, I shared this Wednesday at our midweek service, there was a young man, and he was uh, in college wanting to be a, uh, a lawyer. But while he was in law school, he was outside one day, and a thunderstorm came up, and a lightning bolt struck very close to him, and uh, it, it, it scared him. He thought it was, killed him. And so he dropped out of school and joined a monastery because he decided he wanted to be a monk because, you know, life is fragile. I almost died right there. I need to get right with God. So he goes to a monastery, a Roman Catholic monastery, and he begins to do, 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 do everything that's required so that God would be pleased with us. And so he would, he would uh, climb the stairs to the, uh, to the courtroom where Pilate would hold a fake hearing for Jesus. And the monks would, would crawl up the steps praying on their knees until their knees bled. This, this man would put rocks in his shoes so when he walked it would remind him, I'm suffering so God will be pleased with me. He would fast until he would pass out and almost die. I, if, I can just do, if I can just suffer enough, then God will choose to love me. Meanwhile, he's reading scripture, not just listening to his instructors. And he's reading Galatians and Romans, and he realized the just shall live by faith alone. His name, Martin Luther. And because of Martin Luther, the great reformation took place, and we're part of his work in the Protestant church, the pro church, the protesting church, and we're part of that. He, had, he did the work for you. You can't do enough work. You can't suffer enough. You can't give enough to earn your salvation, but you have received a free gift of salvation through grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, and when that rattles your cage on the inside, it should come out on the outside. And that's what James is saying to us. So here's the question again. Can a faith that has no works save a person? You remember I said it's a, a yes and a no? It's a yes. Think of the thief on the cross. Jesus is there hanging. He's in between two thieves. One of the thieves rejected him. The other thief said, I believe in you. He professed his faith in him while dying on a cross. Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He was saved. They didn't let him off the cross to go visit church. They didn't let him off the cross to go memorize scripture. They didn't let him off the cross to go share his faith, to go door to door. They didn't let him off the cross to catch up on his tithe. They didn't, he didn't do anything. He died there on the cross, no works, and he was saved by simply placing his faith in Jesus. So the answer is yes, you can be saved without any works. But the other answer is yes, your life, if it's saved, should be authenticated and manifested in how you live your life. Paul and James are really talking about two sides of the same coin. Paul speaks about a faith before God. James is talking about faith before our peers. Paul is describing salvation's root. James is describing salvation's fruit. Paul is talking about the heart. James is talking about our hands. Paul is talking about a provision for salvation. And James is talking about the proof of our salvation. So church, 
Don't be guilty of cheap chatter. God knows the reality of your invisible heart's condition. And if it's right, it should come out on the outside. Point number two after cheap chatter is one I need you to lean into. Because this is something that much of the Christian community has bought into. And it's edgy and it's scary. And all of us may have done this at some point in our life. Point number two is called demonic doctrine. Demonic doctrine. Listen what happens now. Verse 19, James is going to go on. He's talking about faith. He's talking about works. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about being sure that you're a child of, of, of our great God adopted into his kingdom through Jesus' son. And this is what he says. So you believe that God is one? He says you do well. And then he says the demons also believe and they shudder. Here's the thing. The demonic doctrine is when somebody lives their life simply placing their belief system in the reality of one God, in the reality of Jesus, his son, in the reality of the great gift that he offered on a cross, and in the reality of the amazing resurrection. They believe all of that. They've got all the facts right, but it's only in the gray matter. James says, listen, you believe that God is one, you do well. You know what he's saying? You believe in what's called monotheism, one God? You're off, you're off on the right foot. You've started. You've launched well, okay? You believe there's one God? That's great. You know who you join? Who you're partners with when you believe in one God? You believe all Christians believe in one God. All Jews believe there's one God. All Muslims, people of the nation of Islam, they believe in one God. And there's a few other smaller religious groups that believe in one God. But James says, that's not the only company you're keeping. The demons of hell, Satan himself, believes there's one God. You see, Satan himself, who was originally Lucifer, was the anointed angel in heaven. The demons, the angels who were cast out of heaven for following Lucifer. The demons, they all believe there's one God. The angels of heaven and the angels that are here protecting us and doing battle on our behalf, they believe in one God. So you're keeping company with Jews, Christians, Muslims, Angels and demons, he says, you're off to the right foot, but if you're not careful, when that other foot lands, you'll be walking in the wrong direction. And so he's saying, be careful not to simply believe in one God, because there's more to the story. C.S. Lewis said this, if humans insist on believing in God, then it is the hope of hell and its occupants that our faith remains inactive are you ready satan loves it when you believe in god he has no problem for you to believe in god he believes in god too he just doesn't want you to get too serious about it he just wants you to just kind of leave it dormant in your mind and never let it penetrate and permeate out in your life he's okay he's okay it's okay to believe that god is one he is one but don't get carried away with it now the demons recognized Jesus as God because the demons were with Jesus eternally past as long as the angels were created. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are eternal. I don't know when the angels came in to play, but as long as they were in heaven, they knew God was one in three persons. Now listen what happens, how we know this. 
In Mark chapter 1, verse 22, it says, And they were amazed at Jesus' teaching. For Jesus was teaching them as one having authority, and not as scribes. Verse 23, Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean or demonic spirit. And this unclean man cried out, saying, What business do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. The demons know who Jesus is. They believe. Matthew 8, 28 says, and when he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men confronted him. And they were coming out of the tombs, and they were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, what business do you have with us, son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? They know who Jesus is. James says, you believe in one God, you have this monotheistic view, you're doing well, but the demons believe and they shudder. Now here's the difference. He's saying, if you believe that God is one, and that same one God has rescued you from the inside, he's saved your soul, you don't fear and tremble him. You live for him. You embrace what, what are called the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, if Jesus is on the inside and that belief has moved from the gray matter down into your heart, your soul, and your being, all of a sudden, you got the fruits of the Spirit. Life is good. It's more than just a monotheistic view that there's one God. It's radically changed all of your being on the other hand. If it never goes past your mind, past your brain, you believe all the facts, but the fruits are different. The fruits become fear, anger, violence, lies, rebellion, and death. And don't get me wrong, there's multitudes of people in the world today, even in the church today, who will die and be separated from God for eternity. And they will have missed heaven by 18 inches, which is the approximate length or distance between the brain and the heart the belief system was always contained in the mind and it never penetrated into the heart and into the soul and that's the sad state of the matter and and James is saying James is warning do not simply embrace a demonic doctrine that will give you good feelings in your brain and never radically save your soul and change your life number three We're going to call acceptable actions. Now, James is going to give us a couple of illustrations about what it does look like when Jesus gets real, when he changes us on the inside and the outside. He begins in verse 20, and he says, now he's asking the early church a question. He says, are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? So now he's going to give an illustration. He says, was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works, faith was then perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Verse 24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not just faith alone. 
Now he's going to give another illustration on the other end of the spectrum. He says, in the same way, was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works? Also, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So here's what he's saying. And I'm, he's saying it to the early church. I'm saying it to the church at Sturkey Hills. Will you agree, based on Scripture, that salvation is a product of faith and it's demonstrated by works. And if there, is no, if there are no works to demonstrate the faith, can that faith really be real? You've got to say, yeah, I would agree with that. And, and he says, you foolish people. I ain't saying that's what he says to his people. I know y'all are not that people. Y'all are brilliant, educated, sharp. But you would agree that faith without works doesn't seem like real faith. And real works should demonstrate that faith and your life should be different one reason people like James is because James is very candid he don't mess around he just tells it like it is and I like that I'm a guy and that's one reason I like it I I don't do good with the fog just tell me and most people are the same way and that's one reason we like James but it doesn't matter who's saying it whether it's Moses or Elijah or Isaiah or Daniel, or David, or James, or Paul, or John, or whoever you want to read, all of those writers are only saying what the Holy Spirit has inspired them to say. And if it comes from God, we ought to take it all the same. I remember several years ago, I made the comment at a ball game, I was talking, and there was a, a kind of a, a, what I would call a freeloader or a moocher. Somebody who just was content letting somebody else pay their bills. Somebody else who wants to eat off the land but don't want to do anything. I just don't do good with that, okay? I don't do good with that. If that's you, I, I don't do good with you. It's, I, I just, I don't, okay? I think we all should carry our own weight. And so we were having a conversation, me and a guy. And, and I said, the Bible says that if a, a man doesn't work, he ought not get to eat. And I wasn't even talking to the lady in front of me. She turned around and said, the Bible don't say that. I said, well, I, I, I think it does. Where does it say it? In the Bible. I didn't know the address, but I knew it was in there. I'd read it. But it sounded like something I would say, so I thought, maybe it's just something I thought it said. You know, like, cleanliness is next to godliness. That sounds kind of like it would be in the Bible. It ain't in there. So I thought, well, maybe I made that up. So I went home, and I looked it up. I called her husband. I said, hey, I just didn't want her to be in confusion. He says, I know. I showed it to her. Okay. Now, now here's the thing. It sounds like something I would make up because I, 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 I like the way it sounds. What James says sounds like something we would say because he's the blue-collar scholar. He just tells it like it is. And like it is is this. If you say you are a child of God, if you say that the God Most High has adopted you into his family, if you say you believe that Jesus came and died and was buried and rose again for you, if you say you're going to heaven when you die, then your life ought to show it and that's what James is driving home now now what's funny about it is he chooses these two individuals as our poster children Abraham and Rahab of all of the people he could have picked Abraham and Rahab Abraham is the nation of Israel's father Rahab is the city of Jericho's prostitute. 
What a chasm of difference. I mean, he reached to both ends. The father of a nation, the prostitute of a city. He says, and both of them were saved by a faith that changed the way they lived their lives. Abraham is the patriarch of the three monotheistic primary religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. Rahab is the prostitute of a Canaanite people group, hated enemies of Israel who lied to protect some spies in a land that was the center of idolatry and false worship. Why did he choose Abraham and Rahab? Because the Holy Spirit knew that you and I would fit right in between those bookends. You can't get worse than Rahab and you can't get better than Abraham. You fit right in the middle of there. And James is saying, just like faith demonstrated by works showed Abraham and Rahab to be righteous, faith that changes your life will prove salvation is real in your life as well. James is trying to say there are people who say they believe and there are people who because they believe, they behave. I want you to know, church, it matters how you live your life. If Jesus died on a cross to save you and he entered your world to redeem you, it matters how you live your life. How do we know it really matters? He finishes with verse 26 and he drives a stake in it and I'll call it feudal faith feudal faith he calls forth a terminal illness listen to what he says in verse 26 he says for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead I don't know anybody's heart condition in here but my own. I could be a fruit inspector that demonstrates the root of who you are. I could check out how you live your life and listen to your speech and make some form of judgment call about it, but I really don't know. Only God knows that. James says, faith without works in your life is a dead does that mean it's a faith that, that is not, doesn't save you? He just says, faith without works is dead. I know this much. Dead faith is a miserable faith. Head faith is a miserable, defeated faith. I want you to know today that when your life on the outside begins to look like what claim your life is on the inside, victory shows up excitement shows up energy shows up and it's attractive man people begin to come around you to serve with you because they want what you have they want they want on the outside what they have on the inside but every single person has to decide Will I continue to live with this dead gray matter faith or will I let that faith penetrate my life and begin to show up on the outside? Last week, we started this two-part series called Just Do It. 
And the goal of it is to give you an opportunity to begin to serve on the outside who you say you believe in on the inside. And sometimes people say, well, I serve when I'm out there. I want to tell you something. Your greatest opportunity to serve will always be in the Lord's church. If you can't serve well in the church, you probably won't serve well outside the church. You see, our faith is connected to more than just us and Jesus. You and I are connected to each other in Jesus and through Jesus. We are the family of God. And we serve each other. We're to love each other. And so last week we issued these cards. And maybe you were here and you filled out a card. Awesome. You'll be connected soon. Uh, you'll be contacted soon by the ministry leader in the area that you put on there. Maybe you weren't here last week and today you got this card. I want to challenge you to put your name on here, to sign up and serve in this place, in the Lord's church. It's your opportunity to begin to demonstrate and authenticate on the outside who you say you are on the inside. You can begin that today. Secondly, next Saturday is a serve day where we're going to help a couple of families in need work in their yard. I want you to go by the Connection Center if you're free next Saturday and say, hey, I want to be contacted with more information about serve day. I want to help on that day. Thirdly, today you received this card. Everybody get one of these? If you did, raise it up. On this card is everything you need to know about Easter. And it's not for you to stick on your refrigerator. It's for you to give to somebody so they can stick it on their refrigerator. You see, Easter's coming up in just a few weeks, and it is what, in the Christian community, it's Super Bowl Sunday. It is the day that the whole world changed because Jesus got up out of that grave. And we celebrate it on Easter. And this is your opportunity, a simple opportunity to serve the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood, the people at work, the people in your school, the people on your team, to invite them to Easter service. Because it may be that on that day, God would change their life like God has changed your life. It also has information in there for Easter Extreme where you can invite your friends and your families who have small children to come and celebrate Easter on Saturday before Easter. It's got information on there about Good Friday where you can come and be a part of our Good Friday service. It's an opportunity to serve. And James is saying in James chapter 1 and James chapter 2, enough of the cheap chatter. It's time to just do it. And this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to dive in serving at a deeper level. Not to change your salvation as a product of your salvation. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to ask you a simple question today. If your life ended today, or if the Lord comes back today, would you spend your eternity apart from God or with God? The answer is not that difficult. The answer is found in what you have done with Jesus. Has Jesus entered your mind and you believe in Jesus? Or, or has Jesus entered your life and you live for Jesus? I want you to know today that your pastor is sickened by the thought 
that you might miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance between your head and your heart. And on this day, it could be your day of true salvation where it's no longer just a belief. Now all of a sudden, he enters your life and he's your new master. Religion will get us nowhere. There has to be a moment in each life when we look to God and say, God, I believe you're God. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he came to this earth, but I want it to be personal. I want Jesus to come into my life and change me on the inside. And then I want the Holy Spirit to fill my life so I will live it out on the outside. I don't want any more religion. I don't want any more knowledge. I want a relationship and and an experience with you, God, through Jesus, your son. Radically save me and change me on this day. Help me live for you for the rest of my days so I can know with certainty I will spend eternity with you not because of what I have done or what I have not done, but because of the finished work of Jesus. And many of us today have already made that commitment to Christ, but I want to challenge you to surrender your life on the outside to who you've given your life to on the inside. It's time for us, church, to just do it because there is a world out there dying to hear what you know to be true. Father, I thank you so much for James. I thank you for his letter. I thank you, God, that you chose to include it in canonized scripture for us to read and to study and to learn and to be challenged by. God, there's not a person in this building, certainly not me, who's not challenged by the words of James, inspired by your Holy Spirit to us today. God, help us leave this place changed, committed at a different level to serve you, not for salvation, but because of salvation, because we have been saved to serve you. Help us do that well. God, for those that may be here today who have never yielded their whole being to you, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just gently beckon their their name, reach into their soul, and draw them to you, that they will know that that they've been invited into your family and that they would respond. God, help us live it out and help us be found pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.